0: Look, I believe in one simple truth. You don't have to be superhuman to be a superhero. There are heroes all around us. Heroes of culture, business, philanthropy, and technology. And on this show, I'm going to talk to them all. My name is Joe Anthony, and this is Hero Talk. Welcome to another episode of Hero Talk, where we talk to ordinary people doing extraordinary things, heroes of culture, philanthropy, technology, and business, all who have one thing in common. They want to change the world. Today, I'm here with a very special guest, a hero of mine, Mr. Ross Martin uh senior vice president of marketing strategy at viacom welcome man thank
1: you man thank you thank you so much for joining us man you're a busy guy and you know to have you here we feel humbled man well (laughs) i heard that you would be here and also that you had food and so i i come i I come whenever you call me
0: absolutely i appreciate it man i appreciate it so i want to kind of dive into what's going on in your world right now but before we do that you know i want to give the viewers kind of a a primer on who Ross Martin is. I mean, I, Forbes 40 under 40, yeah. Advertising Hall of Fame inductee. Yeah. Um, I've known you at, for going on close to a decade yeah. now, but you've been at Viacom for a bar about, th- 13 <laughs> yeah, about 13 years. Th- 13 years. Give a, the viewers a little background on who Ross Martin is. Uh,
1: well, I'm so I'm probably the least likely. Media executive slash corporate tool that you're interviewing? Yeah. Um, because I, I, I never thought I would be in any of this shit. Yeah. I, I, I went to poetry school. Oh, um, okay. So I'm happy to recite my poetry. You spit 16 balls for us? I'm, I'm, I'm happy <laughs> to do it. Uh, I, cut it if you want, but I'll read you my first poem. It's called Why Do We Mow Our Lawns? It started to thunder. I began to wonder, Why Do We Mow Our Lawns? Then it hit me that nice lawns are pretty when they wake up freshly cut at dawn. Maybe they want to keep growing, but man's too ignorant to stop mowing. So lawns are cut each day because man doesn't care about cutting nature's hair, even if nature doesn't want it that way. What? what? <laughs> that was neat. Nice. So, we'll yeah. Look. So, like, I have a different kind of <laughs> background in you know poetry and literature, and I taught poetry at Rhode Island School of Design mm. and here in the city at the New School. Um, favorite and, poet of all time. Favorite poet of all time is tough. I would probably say it's um, Wallace Stevens, mm-hmm. um, and uh, you know who was an insurance broker. Mm-hmm. Like I mean, you look at Wallace Stevens, and he he was a businessman, but he had this side hustle.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: And when <laughs> your side hustle is poetry, you become one of the greatest <laughs> poets of all time. It's mm-hmm. pretty interesting. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so. Poetry, you know, was my main thing for a long time, but then it became a side hustle as I moved into media. And my, my first job in the industry was, uh, as you know, working for Spike Lee. Yeah. And my job was to read scripts for Spike and um, tell him if he should produce or direct those films. Mm. And, you know, he mostly didn't listen to what I said, but um, I remember I had such great taste that the first film, First script I ever read, I told him it's so bad you don't even have to read it. Trust me, don't worry about it. And that script went on to win an Academy Award (laughs) with Russell Crowe. It's called Cinderella Man. Um, And Spike never read it because I told him it was really bad. So obviously I was great at my job from the beginning. Um, And uh, you know my career um, at Viacom began in 2004 when I was brought on to help launch and then run programming and creative for the College Network, Mm -hmm. MTVU. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I've been at Viacom for. 13 years, I think I've done three bodies of work inside the company. The first was uh, at MTVU as the head of programming and I was the youngest senior vice president that they'd ever had in Viacom and that was a real honor for me. And then um, I moved uh, into um, a really different phase of my career in 2009 when I launched a a group inside the company that was really there to kind of bust things open and break apart the Mm old frameworks for how you do business, and that group, as you know, was called Scratch, yes. which is when you and I met. yep. yep. Um, and so Scratch was its own phenomenon and really interesting experiment for us. And after about five years of Scratch, uh, I uh, became Executive Vice President of Marketing Strategy and Engagement for Viacom, where I had responsibility for the positioning of the whole portfolio um, of media brands, which mm. is, you know, a gigantic uh, portfolio in 172 countries. Big, big.
0: Let's go companies. back to scratch for a second yeah. because I think, you know, your career is, you know, a series of these kind of uh, disruptive moments where you kind of understand or you identify um, an opportunity or a trend and you kind of, and you... Kind of blow it open, yeah, right, and you know you don't. That's necessarily... how I think about it too. Yeah. Yeah. Like, no, I do think about it yeah. like
1: that like it's like it's kind of on you. You do the same thing, like you, you sort of recognize with a Spidey sense or whatever yeah. it is. You yeah. just kind of see something that maybe you're slightly ahead of other people are seeing it, or you're seeing it a little differently. And then it's kind of on you to have the courage of your conviction to do something yeah. about
0: it, right? Yeah. yeah.
1: Now, what was the genesis of
0: Scratch? Like, was this um, was this your brainchild? Was it something? Uh, because normally you would you would see a media company and then a service-oriented company potentially yeah. as a conflict of interest. Totally, right? right. So how did you guys make right. that here's work? here's like
1: a services business and that's kind of like a consulting business, and kind of like an agency inside a big media company. Yeah. And then so basically, what it was designed to do, Joe, was to say, here's a bunch of things that Viacom's networks are great at, yeah. right? Like design, content development, talent development, production. Uh, research, social media, what if we could make those things available, those core capabilities available uh, to the outside, to clients on the outside who need those to be better in their business and to win. Mm-hmm. And so we started selling those services, which is a very unusual thing to do. Mm-hmm. And it made it difficult for the account people to try to figure out how do you book that kind of revenue. Mm-hmm. Like it's just coming in as consulting fees to a media company where normally you would get licensing money or ad sales dollars, yeah. distribution. So. Really for me, it was a very personal thing, what happened. Uh, you know, I was coming back from a very rare medical condition that I haven't like, really talked about, but it's, um, it's, I'm happy to talk about it. It's just that like I was the 167th person in the world to be diagnosed with a rare condition that made the sound of my voice too loud in my head. Wow. Isn't that weird? That's great. So I, mean, so I would be talking to you right now, and even at this volume, my own voice would make me so dizzy that I'd probably fall off this chair and like fall down, pass out. Wow. And for a year that was happening, but I didn't know why. why so I just thought I was going fucking crazy. What's it called? It's called superior canal dehiscence. Wow. And it's, it's what really is, is it's the, the, um, the lining of your inner ear, the, the deterioration of the wall between your inner ear and your brain. Mm. So I was hearing sounds that would kind of go into my ear and then just like hit my brain. Mm and cause vertigo or cause me to pass out. So like the sound of a bus driving by or the sound of somebody on a speakerphone. If it was the wrong frequency, it would just completely disorient me. And um, so there's a metaphor there, really, for me, which is that the sound of your own voice in your own head being too loud, right? And the truth is, like, because we had such early success at MTVU, yeah. we were winning Peabody Awards and Emmy Awards, we were getting headlines, we were making millions of dollars for the company, and we were this teeny little channel, and we thought we were the shit, Believe high. You know, I yeah. definitely, my yeah. colleagues maybe didn't weren't as bad as I was, but <laughs> I believed I was the greatest yeah. media executive coming <laughs> in, in decades, right? I was like, I'm the, the guy. Yeah. And the truth is, like, no I'm not. Yeah. Like, yeah. I, I work really hard, yeah. but, I, I, I'm not god's gift to me yeah, yet. and yeah, yeah. um but I thought I was, and i really i didn't realize until i you know had this happen to me that I really wasn't listening to other people mm. I really was just listening wow. to myself and I thought I had all the answers, and you know the truth is like as you know, you build teams and you build you know cultures of creativity and innovation because you don't have all the answers and you don't have all the great ideas and what I found was that you know, when I came back from this condition and the doctors healed me, I had major surgery. When I came back and I said, you know what? Like, I need to quiet my own voice. I need to be a better listener. And I need to empower new kinds of cultures of innovation around me that um, really will help everybody achieve something that, and surprise everybody a little bit. So we, the, that was the birth of Scratch. It was how can we open things up more? Um, Hmm. And how can we try to use the power, in this case, of a a media company in ways that nobody had ever tried before?
0: Well, I mean, that's the next uh, interesting segue to kind of my next question is, you know, when I witnessed Scratch be born at Viacom, I was like, okay, Viacom is on the top of the fucking world right now. It's because they're starting to think differently than any other media company out there, right? right? Um, Then you have kind of this social media phenomenon. Yeah. You have Facebook, you have Instagram, right? You have kind of the emergence of user generated content. You have literally technology being introduced um, into the media space as, as a competitor right. and all these companies in Silicon Valley that's never produced any iota or piece of content right. to save their life. They're just utilizing their knowledge of, of algorithm algorithms and code to kind of level the playing field and create a entry point for themselves and then I started to say, "Oh shit!" You know, uh, is this going to be another music industry scenario? Right. How is Viacom going to kind of keep pace or continue this in a track of innovation that insulates them from the potentiality yeah. of, of disruption? You're right. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I saw the same thing, and um, you know, frankly, uh, you know, Viacom and its competitors are competing in the economy of attention. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's, it's like any other economy or any other commodity. You, you know, we don't control that market, right? And we're competing with more disruptors than ever before. Mm-hmm. And um, it turns out we can't make 25, 26, or 27 hours in the day. There's only 24. Yeah. And um, there's more ways to get what you want. Primetime, we knew, was being redefined. Um, Primetime is when you think prime time should be. Yeah. It's not when I think. I should be as a programmer. And the other thing that kind of shifted in my mind was that the job of marketing stopped being about push and started being about engineering pull. pull. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and you and I have talked about that and I, and I, I think you're great at doing that mm-hmm. too. It's like I look at some of the examples of what you've been able to achieve in culture and even specifically in certain communities you'd be able to light people up and make them want something, yeah. right? Yeah. And, um, you know, I, I study that all the time is how can you... How can you engineer pull? How can you yeah. make people want something on their terms? And um, so data th- the data revolution uh, was something that we we started to, you know, really invest in at Viacom mm-hmm. probably about three or four years ago. Yeah.
0: Hired and Cody,
1: my, my boyfriend. We hired Cody. Cody yeah. uh, so Cody <laughs> so Foster, awesome. I yeah. mean, he's like an example of like the yeah. new kind of rock star, yeah. right? Like. Yeah. The data scientists at media companies have become the rock stars. Like yeah. those are the people everyone's like, mm-hmm. I don't exactly understand what you do, but it's magic. <laughs> and if you weren't here, we'd have some fucking problems. Mm-hmm. And um, so we started investing. I went to my bosses, uh, our CEO at the time, and I said, Look, you know, um, I'm ready for my next thing here, right? And and the great the great thing about my time at Viacom was that I I never had a job that somebody else had before me. It's a very unusual thing, right? You're actually the same kind of person, but you know, you were doing it on on your own, right? You started this from nothing. And I was doing it inside a behemoth, Um, but I never inherited a job description. It wasn't like, let me apply for this job. It never happened to me in my life. And so after scratch, our CEO uh, said to me, okay, like cute, good job. You did that, that's good.
0: Next, you
1: know, and I said, okay, well, give me a couple months to try to figure out what I think is next for me. And um, I I like laid the the body of the organization out on the table. And I said, let me kind of like, just like poke, poke at the body and see where the leverage points might be. And you know, you you poke here and nothing happens. You poke here and someone bites you. Mm -hmm. You poke here and your finger goes in. You're like, I lost my hand. You poke here and all of a sudden something magical happens. And you're like, what was that? And that was science. When I... Touched the body. It sounds gross now. Because didn't yeah. you just interview a guy who does like <laughs> the whole sex thing? Yeah. If you if you if you looked at Viacom a certain way, and any media company three, four, or five years ago, you could say like, are they really investing in the sciences, or is it smoke and mirrors? And I felt that we weren't anywhere near we were where we need to be. Um, it's not an endemic part of the uh, media, media's no, culture. it's not going to grow or, yeah, yeah. organically yeah. in your yeah. culture. And it sort of has to be introduced in a way that is like very intentional. You've got a program, it's almost like recoding the DNA of the company, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And you talk about Cody Foster and people like him in the organization. These are really highly specialized, brilliant people who would, un- under normal circumstances, never find themselves in a legacy media company. Mm-hmm. But we knew that without that kind of talent, recoding our DNA, we we didn't stand a chance. And so we had to become a more intelligent organization very, very, very quickly. And so we doubled and tripled down on talent, money invested, time spent, understanding, and integration uh, to be able to catch up to where we thought we'd need to be, to be able to compete in the 21st century as a media company.
0: Now at this point, are you feeling kind of alone in this struggle of kind of uh, reprogramming the mindset mindset of a kind of a legacy media company that was used to doing things one way? Or were you starting to adopt certain... Um, cohorts in this that were kind of co-signing <laughs> this, you know, because yeah. it could feel like a very lonely type of endeavor if you're the only one kind of screaming yeah. that we need to change and we need to adopt best practices that yeah. are kind of inherent or kind of endemic to Silicon Valley yeah. and these people over here are like, we just need to create another show, that's fucking yeah, hot I, totally you know? I won't
1: lie to you, I think that there have been moments in my career where I have felt very alone um, and I, I don't know if that's encouraging for people to hear because in Maybe, maybe I would have liked to have heard that from someone else before yeah. I experienced it. Yeah. But there, inside any organization like the size of a Viacom, there are f- what you would call free radicals, right? Yeah. Who somehow seem to be doing their own thing and getting away with it. Yeah. Who somehow seem like they they maybe get get a break, or they get resources that other people don't have, or somehow like they're able to sort of they have more free will. And I, I think I think I was like called on that a lot of times, Mm -hmm. really. I was justifying everything I was doing. I wasn't (laughs) screaming, Mm -hmm. you know, you used that word earlier. I think there are screamers in in big organizations who are like, I'm a change agent, (laughs) listen to me. (laughs) If you don't listen, we're gonna die, right? You know what the truth is, like, these media companies are not gonna die, right? Um, They're they're fine, okay? They make billions of dollars. Um, And, you know, the platform was not on fire. Uh, What I was trying to do was not use any kind of authority, but just use influence and inspiration. Yeah. So you wasn't trying to scare people into no. submission. You were trying to inform I them. Look at me, yeah. do I look really scary? <laughs> like, how am I going
0: to scare anybody. I mean, we we'll talk about Gary Vaynerchuk. He's, the, he's he's not an ominous looking I guy. Have you had
1: Gary on the show? <laughs> not yet. Well, he'll he, fucking scream at you he'll he'll scream,
0: the whole time. Yeah, exactly.
1: You'll be lucky if you talk one. If you ask exactly, one question, exactly. you know.
0: I, look, he sells fear like a motherfucker. He sells fear.
1: <laughs> you know, and Gary, 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 really good friend of mine. Yeah. I bought a lot of fucking wine from Gary. <laughs> I, when he buys the Jets, I'm going to get major tickets yeah, exactly. out of him or I'm going to come kick him in the nuts. But the thing is, Gary Vaynerchuk is very sure of what Gary Vaynerchuk thinks. Yeah. yeah. I'm not so sure. Yeah. I'd be the first to tell you I don't have all the answers. I don't know. Yeah. There's a lot of shit I do not know But about. there's a nobility in that, you yeah, know? Yeah. I mean, it's the wild fucking west
0: out here, I, you I did, know? Totally. I, <laughs> I
1: went Totally. I went to poetry school, and what I learned from the Greek sapphic poet, Olga Brumas, was don't try to find the answer. Just find the next best question, mm. right? So I'm asking the question that gets me the next question. I'm not getting to the answer. Mm. And by the way, there's another difference between me and some of the people that are my peers in the industry. Like, I'm really, Something happened to me a few years ago and I stopped investing in the pursuit of happiness. Mm. And, and as cheesy as it may sounds, I wake up every day and I try to, I try to find the happiness of pursuit. Yeah. That's really what yeah. it is for me. Yeah. And if I can't find it in the day, then I don't think it's a really good day. Yeah. Um, because look what we get to do. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we're here, look at this beautiful set. It's very clean. Thank you, thank you. We've got these red <laughs> stools. I mean, we've you know? <laughs> got great kicks, and like, we're having a great conversation. Like, I'm grateful for that.
0: You know, um, that
1: someone like, would want to talk to me. No, because, I mean, you know?
0: Know, and I appreciate it. And, and you know, there's, there's a, a humility in you that I think is rare in an industry, uh, especially in New York, that's filled with a lot of pretentiousness. And a lot of individual, I and mean, maybe it goes back to the metaphor that you kind of outlined when yeah. you had that kind of transition point in your life and you heard that inner voice too saying, loud. Yeah, I'm too fucking loud, yeah. and you tone it down and listen. Don't back you see these people
1: who talk at yep. everybody else as if they know? Like, and I'm not singling out Gary because Gary <laughs> is actually brilliant, you know. But and no, his, I are just growing.
0: talking about the polarization, uh, right? Yeah. The, kind of, on one side you have to have the yang in order to have the yang. You, totally. know? you know, and yeah. I learned to be a better listener.
1: Yeah. You know, and I, I'm I'm really trying to understand the people that um, are Around and to surround myself with people who are really what I would call messy, imperfect geniuses. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. They won't, you know. I I used to be the kind of person who would be like, I am the smartest person in the room, just ask me. Mm. I would tell you. Yeah, like I fucking know. Yeah, yeah. You know, and I just like, it's not true. Or resent the fact that no one's recognizing your genius, you know.
0: Yeah, where it turned around for me is um, a few years ago. I uh, I had my own transition point, and I felt like gender transition. Yeah, yeah. yeah okay. Aside from that, okay, okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, I went through a transition point where uh, you know I realized that you know I haven't you know to use and quote a term for one of my previous guests, Afzal Aziz. I haven't future proofed myself. Yeah, yeah. You exactly. know, and um, you know I started to kind of analyze where the cracks were. Mm-hmm. Uh, and what I started to realize is that my, um, I was focused too much on the end result and trying to get to the end result. And I found this kind of Buddhist proverb that really changed my life and, it, and it's the uh, um, attachment is the root of all suffering, mm. right? And if you attach yourself to material things or you're attached to this particular outcome or you're attached to trying to achieve this particular goal, you lose sight of the journey you lose sight of um, experiencing and appreciating the moment, these moments, That's right. and um, and what you can get out of That's it because right. I can't even talk to you right now because I'm looking past you and thinking about what this platform is going to get me yeah, yeah, yeah. and I'm not taking full advantage of this conversation right. and yielding right. the result that I need to trend you know to, to take that and turn it into some type of It's tangible interesting you it. say
1: that because I don't look I've known you for about a decade, I, whenever we are together I don't feel that from yeah. you. I feel yeah. like we're, you're very in the moment with yeah. me. I don't know. Maybe it's just yeah. me. But yeah. you just love no, me. No, you're just me. a good-looking guy. It's, good it's guy. hard for me to take my eyes off right. you. But, you know. <laughs> but, but I never sent... When you did that, when you went through that experience, did you? Did, did somebody help you realize that? Or did you just get there See, yourself? that's the thing. I mean, well,
0: my family, mm-hmm. you know, um, sometimes you can learn lessons just from observing, mm-hmm. right? And I have this kind of uh, unique ability to kind of um turn my attention outward and kind of receive you know in, in inspiration and influences sometime from places that you would normally think to look mm-hmm. you know and for me it was you know interaction with my son and my wife and helping me level set mm-hmm. on uncertain and certain things uh, you know when my son was born he was born Uh, under two pounds Mm -hmm. right and that was the hardest thing I've ever experienced I had to deal with in my whole life right Um, was in the NICU for three months every day we kind of you know were scared that that was gonna be the last day he was with us now he's 11 year old he's thriving he's amazing Uh, and and if I didn't have the patience every day to go into that NICU and kind of pour all my energy into you know getting him better You know, I don't know if I would have been able to develop the discipline that I have now Mm -hmm. to kind of catch myself when I'm speeding too fast. And so that was kind of my moment, you know, that was synonymous with your moment when you were, you know, you were too loud. Because when I was, I was an overachiever my whole life, right? And I always had issues with authority. You know, I didn't grow up with a, a, a male figure in my life telling me what to do. I was my own male voice. And because I had so much success early on in my career, you couldn't tell me shit, and I was the shit, right? Because you know, success to me was defined about how many zeros you had in your bank account. I owned, a, I owned a home at 24. I, I, I did everything that I wanted to do early on. So when I fell on my fucking face, I didn't know what, what to do or how to deal with it. So I had to find something to help me reset. Mm-hmm. And sometimes the way to find a new road to enlightenment is to go through tragedy. Totally. Yeah. So that's what, that's what I, I like how you turned the fucking conversation around and started interviewing me. That's fucking oh, dope. I think people need
1: to <laughs> understand what you've achieved and how you got there. Because I feel like it's a very unique story. Yeah. And by the way, like, there's a lot of people who like, wake up one day and decide they want to start a, a business in our industry. Mm. And 99.9% of them are out of business in six months. It's, it's fucking just, hard, man. It's really hard.
0: It's hard, you know. Um, I used to resent the fact that, you know, I wasn't this celebrity CEO, right? But then I started to appreciate the fact that what kept me in the business was I was fucking smart, right? And that relationships will get you in the game, but talent will keep you in it, right? And I think that's something that a lot of people um, who are in this business tend to overlook or underestimate their own genius, right? In lieu of trying to subsidize that with more superficial assets like relationships and things that are important, but they're not necessarily always sustainable.
1: Yeah, I I think, you know, when I, when you introduced me, you mentioned a bunch of the awards and the recognition that I've gotten. And while Mm -hmm. those things feel really good and, like, at the time, they were great because I could call my mom. Mm -hmm. And I could tell my mom, hey, mom, (laughs) this just happened. (laughs) Like, they think I'm great, right? The truth is, any of the people, those are nice. But most of the people that decide on that stuff, they they never really knew like what I actually do, right? They never actually saw yeah. the work, yeah. right? The it's two, three, four a.m. and like you're not giving up because it's not good enough. They're not there in those mm-hmm. hours that make a difference between good and great. Mm-hmm. And you know, you you know in the industry who puts the time and the work in, yeah. and you know who's the CMO of themselves, right? And. I, I just never wanted to be one of those people who, like, if you just scratched the surface, you could see, oh, my God, he's actually, there's nothing there underneath mm-hmm. that, right? Like, I want people to know through my work, not through those lists or the press or the awards, but through the work itself that, like, when they realize, like, oh, shit, you did that? Well, that was, like, really meaningful, yeah. right? It, it did something to make the world a better place, or it It had this lasting, sustainable business impact, you know, or empowered people to do something. I want them to know that, right? And the other thing I think that we have in common, which I'm very proud of, if you ask me, I mean, this is what I think we both would say we're both most proud of, it's not even the work. It's that we create cultures of creativity and innovation. I think we create an environment for people to feel both safe and challenged right, to feel comfortable and supported, but also that they could stretch and Absolutely. surprise themselves. Absolutely. That's what I'm most proud of in, in my career.
0: Yeah, I mean, I'm all about fostering an entrepreneurial community um, or, or culture within my company. Like, uh, well, I think mean, you've inspired a lot yeah, of people. If yeah, oh, I appreciate not that. Not just I mean, inside your company. I mean, that's the, those are the things that I hold the most value. I mean, one of the reasons I, I created this show is because there's a lot of people who are not necessarily there's not an award for everything, right? There's not, uh, you know, an accolade for everything. You know, there's a lot of unsung heroes out here Uh, that are doing great things every day. Um, Even if they're touching one individual person and making change, they they need a platform to be celebrated. Sometimes people just need affirmation, right? right? And if we get a little affirmation, it'll spark greater confidence to want to do more. We're human beings, we need uh, a a tap on the shoulder. Yeah, it's just funny you're saying that because,
1: you know, when you look at the, Creative agencies, for example, like very few of them have a culture that could say that. Yeah, you know. Yeah. They've created cultures of competition and hide the ball and yeah. you know, these like hierarchies that are mostly male centric and they're mostly white. And they just—they don't. There's something not right. And yeah. It's like not, I don't think that's gonna last much longer. No, it's not. I certainly hope it does.
0: And that's why I love millennials, because I, I grew up in—I'm '80s baby. I grew up with you know, uh, movies like Wall Street and TV shows like Miami Vice, where like y- your aspiration was the private plane, your aspiration was the yeah, white Testarossa, or the fucking really douchey white suit it's with so the— So dou- douchey. It's so douchey, right? It's but the like the you grew place. up exposed to this douchey culture that success looks like this and the, the the best thing that happened to Millennials and it's controversial for me to say this was the fucking recession uh-huh. right because it, it resulted in them having to redefine what success meant and so it started to mean more uh, about, about things like community like um, investing in myself or in a higher meaning or a higher purpose. I really don't think those ideologies would be present today if we didn't go through the recession Mm -hmm. to result in that shift in the mindset. So that's actually kind of a refreshing concept is now that we have this liberal generation, even in the administration of Trump, that's so committed to higher ideologies that go beyond personal profit.
1: Um, Yeah, I think you look at like, are millennials entering the workforce now and we're at the end of that, right? Because we're now into Gen Y, but you know, millennials will be roughly half of the workforce in this country by 2020. Mm-hmm. They, they, they're the largest generational cohort in American history and they represent roughly a third of humanity around the world. Mm-hmm. As, they, as they enter the workforce, you know, they're not looking for a job or a career, they're looking for a purpose. Mm-hmm. To your point about a higher yeah. ideology, and I'm not even sure that in five years, entering the workforce, anybody's going to want to have just one job. Right? We talk about the gig economy, yeah. the sharing economy. I think
0: side hustle. Yeah, we're kind yeah. of
1: we're we're entering an era, I believe, and the research is, you know supports this theory that of of portfolio careers, mm-hmm. right, where you say to yourself. My most precious, valuable asset is my time, because as I get better and better at what I do, I have to decide where to put my energy and where to focus my attention, right? And so, why would you put all that in one company if you don't have to? Mm. I'm not saying this to anybody who works for you. They should all just keep working at Hero, (laughs) nobody do anything, everybody chill. But, my point is though, like, For me, and I've reached this point in my career, which is why I'm starting Blackbird, is that I decided, you know, the world's a really, really big fucking place. And I got a lot I want to do. Well, it's a and, great transition,
0: I man. I mean, I actually thought you were going to wind up being like the fucking CEO of Viacom at some point. You know, once somebody of the Redstone, you know, God bless him, kicks the bucket. I mean, I figured <laughs> that you would be part of the, you know, consideration Very set over there. Very grateful for the you Redstone know. family. Yeah. You know, absolutely. And uh, we hope that he lives another, you know, 100 years. But I guess my, my what was the inspiration? What was that aha moment that kind of resulted in say, you know what? After f- almost 15 years, yeah. I got to bounce.
1: You know, Joe, the way I think about this is that um, you know, the, the head of programming at another channel, Sprout, um, taught me this uh, five years ago, Amy Friedman. She said, you know, we don't have these linear careers. It may look like that, but really what we're doing is bodies of work. And you may have a body of work that lasts 15 years. You may have a body of work that lasts a year. Sometimes you know you're in the middle of a body of work, and sometimes you don't. I look back now, and I realize that I achieved or accomplished three different, distinct bodies of work inside Viacom. And as this third one comes to an end, it just felt like the it just felt like I had accomplished what I wanted to do in this role of running marketing for the portfolio. And I felt like, okay, I'm going to start to look out into the world and go like, what, what's out here? Like, because I've been really focused on Viacom for the last three or four years only. Only Viacom, and I look up, and I'm like, "Whoa, it's a world! It's a big world out there, mm-hmm. you know." Mm-hmm. And um, oppor- opportunities started coming my way, and I got excited about them. And um, I hope to work with Viacom for a very long time. Um, the people that I brought in and, uh, and nurtured and grew, I think are some of the most um, talented people in the world at what they do, whether it's business development, marketing, creative, um, research and insights, data and analytics, all those people, like, I will miss them every day. Um, and I hope that they still take my call. But the fact is, I'm ready to apply what I know and challenge myself in a way that I have never before to meet these opportunities that are now out there ready to meet me.
0: That's I, awesome.
1: I I think it's like at yeah, a certain point, yeah. you, gotta, you gotta never forget to bet on yourself. And I've been betting on myself for 13 years at Viacom, grateful to the organization for the opportunities that they have created for me and that they have allowed me to create. Um, now it's time for me to do something that's a little scary. Like, you know, and the reason I'm calling it Blackbird is one of the reasons is I'm afraid of birds. Mm. I am afraid of birds, and I, I, one time a bird flew into me, I freaked the fuck mm-hmm. out. Like, it flew into me in the middle of the street, It hit me right here, and I, I almost had a heart attack, because like, I am so it scared. A it It was a black bird. Oh, it was a black <laughs> Yeah, and I'm okay. like, what the hell? And like, that's my origin story for this thing, wow. is that this bird flew into me, and now I'm flying into the bird. Wow. Now I'm wow. going out and doing it, right? I'm not gonna let that hit me, yeah. I'm going.
0: Wow, wow. Um, so tell me about Blackbird, man, I mean, uh, what's it about, w- what are you going to do, what's the proposition, you know, obviously it's, you told me it's an innovation agency, Yeah. elaborate on that, talk So to look, me. For,
1: for, for the last eight, ten years, some of the biggest companies in the world have come to me and to my groups and said, we have a problem, and, yeah. it, and it, it's always, we have a marketing problem, right? And the fact of the matter is, yeah, you can always be a better marketer, right? That's always going to be true. but. What was apparent to me in all of the companies that I have worked for and partnered with while inside Viacom is that they all had business innovation challenges that were far beyond the marketing symptoms that we're showing, right? And so the marketers in, in, in our industries um, may be the first to spot a problem, may be the first to get blamed for something, and may be the first to start to champion change. But they can't do it on their own. And so most of the engagements that we're involved in already are in the C-suite reporting to CEOs and CMOs to affect systemic change that is sustainable Mm. and disruptive. And we're working with both the, the, the leaders in every industry and the challengers out to eat their lunch. And I love both, Mm -hmm. right? Like I love the big titanics that are like, we've been owning, we've owned this category in CPG or beverage or retail, electronics. We've owned that for 30 years. Mm -hmm. No one's gonna ever touch us. And slowly the businesses are going Mm -hmm. like this. Mm -hmm. And then here come the challengers going like, I'm gonna get you. And some of them go, most of them Uh just fall down, Uh right? But some of them get up here. And we wanna work with both of them. um, On marketing and business innovation and, I'm really excited, like you know, I'm building a new team, I'm working with people that I've always wanted to work with, um, hopefully you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, and I find it to be like an inspiring uh, way to wake up in the morning. Like yeah. I can't even sleep anymore, not because <laughs> I'm stressed, I'm not. I'm I'm am i I'm excited yeah, yeah. You know, yeah, by yeah, the yeah, possibilities. Yeah, yeah. And I think I see some of the same things in, in the industry that you see, yeah. which is these opportunities, right? Yeah, yeah. Everybody's up in everybody's grill. Yeah. Everybody wants to be something they're not. Everybody's core business is challenged like never before. No one has prepared their organization to be as adaptive and nimble as it needs to be. And therefore it creates opportunities for leaders like you and me uh, to be able to step in and affect real change and transformation.
0: Well, I can tell you the marketing industry needs it. Um, Our first guest, he just dropped a, a really crazy stat bomb on us. He was like, uh, he did some poll. I don't know which poll it is, but marketing ranks always at the lowest end of the spectrum in terms of jobs that you know people right. want, right? right? Or that they. Um, Identify as jobs that have some nobility to them right. or some there, high no, level of there, character to no them. There's no nobility. There's no, no nobility at all. So right. depressing. Right. So, like, you know, I, I, that's why I also love working with the Challenger brands because it feels yeah. like I'm actually being part of the disruption. Yeah. And, and I'm helping people who want to bring not only a product to market, but products that hopefully have some kind of ripple effect on impacting society in some kind of meaningful way. Yeah. How can we bring meaningfulness back to marketing? Totally. Right, because one, it's constantly being ridiculed for not being as diverse as it needs to be, and I think that's some of the problems that plague some of these legacy industries, totally. and why it you know it was so um, groundbreaking when you hired someone like Cody, and people are like, well, we've never done this before. Oh my God, we're hiring a data analyst. Oh my God, and that's becoming like. The normal thing if you don't have a data line, it's like not having an accounting department, right? Um, how do we bring nobility, how do we bring integrity, um, or a level of aspirational quality back to marketing so it doesn't seem like it's just this industry trying to peddle crap to people, you know, by any means necessary?
1: And it's like you look at all the awards that we give ourselves back to that, and it's just like, my god, (laughs) enough, you know, the the i mean. Look, the, the, the fact is, like, when I look back on the time, the things I'm most proud of in terms of the work, it's by far, in away the pro-social and social action public affairs work that we've done, right? It would be the work that we did with Malala Yousafzai, right?
0: Mm. Where
1: we worked on creating a brand identity for her, mm. right? A design language that would help Malala communicate her message as not one that's just for girls who look like her, but it's for all of us. And you know, I think when you look back on that design work, it's something. It really helped enable her to reach more people um, and have greater impact. Mm. Now, it's not like something everyone's going to know. It's not like people are going to like call me up and say, "That was great work you did for Malala." I don't want that. I just wanted her to succeed because that was worth it. Watching her accept her award, or her, mm. P- her Nobel Peace Prize, one of the greatest moments of my life. Mm. And. Um, so you look at that, or like, I remember early on in my career, in 2005, we sent three college kids to Darfur. And at the time, I had no idea what the fuck we were doing. It, you know, my boss, who went on to become the president of MTV, Stephen Friedman, who is a genius, decided, look, you know what? At the time, we're running a network for college kids. We're not just going to let the first genocide of the 21st century happen without doing something here with college kids, and and that that, that led to this documentary translating genocide, We sent three kids to Darfur, they made a documentary about the genocide, the first genocide of the 21st century, they brought it back and activated a nation of college kids to begin divesting American dollars from Darfur, the money that was actually going in to fund the Janjaweed who were killing innocent people. So American college kids spoke through this tiny, television network for college kids to affect real change in the US that, affected, like, that effectively helped shut down this genocide in Darfur. We were a small part of that. Mm. But that was about using research and insights, strategy, and creativity to affect real world change. Awesome. And now whether we're doing that for business or we're doing it for public policy, social action, humanitarian reasons, whatever it is, I love doing that. Mm. Because you can have impact, you can measure it. And you can be really proud of that.
0: I'm excited for you, man. Thank I can you. hear the passion in your voice. And you just sound like just totally reinvigorated. I mean, you've always been passionate about whatever you tackle, but you can see a different level of enthusiasm you like so you've, uh, I've, I haven't seen before. And look, I could talk to you for hours about this stuff. What's the ultimate goal, man? What's, what's success for you in five years? <laughs> Besides <laughs> you know, being multi-million, you know, money and all that. But you just mentioned all these other things. I mean, what do you want to affect? What do you want people to say Blackbird is synonymous with what? Or Ross Martin is synonymous with what?
1: Um, I'm most excited by the idea of being able to support and empower people with great ideas to achieve them. It's very simple for me. I bet on people and I bet on ideas. I've done that my entire life, before my career in this industry. People and ideas. And I think Blackbird and some of the other work that I will do will all really be about that. It'll be about, I found someone who has a vision for creating the energy company of the future. How can I help her make it happen, right? And use whatever skills I've got, whatever experience, whatever network I have to be able to help that genius bring that vision to life. That's what will make me proudest in my life. If I can do that, if I can do that for business partners, uh, entrepreneurs, students, colleagues, my children, my wife, I wanna do that.
0: Hmm. I'm Joe Anthony, this is Ross Martin, he's a hero. Thank you for tuning in. My brother, thank you so thank much you. for blessing us and good luck to Thanks, you. Brother.